Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Marriage Matters. All right, well, there's a story of an elderly couple from New York that decided to go to Israel on their vacation. So they got on the plane, went over to Israel. But here's the problem. The whole time during the whole trip, the wife constantly complained about everything. She complained about the flight. She complained about the hotels. She complained about the food. She complained about the tour company, everything. That was her disposition. She was just an absolutely miserable person to be around. So tragically, while they were in Israel, the wife had a heart attack and she died. And so the husband calls the mortician and he said, the mortician said to the husband, I'm so sorry for your loss. I've done the calculations, sir, you have two options. Your first option, and our company will take care of all the expenses, but your first option is to fly your wife's body back to New York City. It's gonna be $5,000. Option number two, you can bury your wife here in Jerusalem. We've cut a deal, only $500. And so the husband quickly replied, we're flying her back to the States. And the mortician said, well, sir, with all due respect, why? Why would you spend $5,000 to send your wife's body back to the States when you could just bury her here in Jerusalem for $500? And the husband said, sir, here's my thinking. A long time ago, a man died here, was buried, and rose again from the dead. <laughs> I cannot take that chance with my wife. <laughs> Every time I hear that joke, it cracks me up. So my wife's been gone to Michigan all week. Praise God, she's back uh, last night. But I'm sitting there in my house, just me, <laughs> totally empty, and I'm typing out this joke, and I'm laughing out loud in my own house because it is pretty funny. But at the same time, it is also pretty sad, right? And so the, the fictitious husband in the, uh, in the joke was obviously in a marriage that he did not want to be in, and ladies and gentlemen, that's heartbreaking if you find yourself in a marriage that you don't wanna be in. Did you know that God wants married couples to be happy? That's why he created marriage. He created marriage so that two people can enjoy companionship, so that they can be best friends and lovers, so they can lean on one another during the difficult times, and that equals happiness. Martin Luther and Katharina von Bora had a very happy marriage. During the Reformation of the 16th century, um, Katharina von Bora was a nun, and she was listening to some of the teachings of the Reformation, and so she decided with 11 other nuns to make a run for it, and they, they fled their convent. They, they left their convent. And so later on, she became interested in a former Augustinian monk named Martin Luther. And so she, after a while, uh, she put it out there publicly that she may be willing to marry this man. And so Martin Luther heard about it, and there were some people who discouraged the idea, and there's other people who encouraged him to go ahead and get married. One of his best friends, Philip Melanchthon, 
And by the way, Philip Melanchthon, if you want uh, to read a, a brilliant theologian, that's him, Martin Luther's uh, best friend or one of his best friends. Philip Melanchthon uh, said, no, don't do this. You know, you were a Catholic priest. You're been, you've been rocking the boat. Don't get married. But then Luther's father and some other friends said, why not? Go ahead. So Martin Luther thought about it. He prayed about it. And he decided that his marriage, and I'm quoting Martin Luther, would please his father, rile the Pope, <laughs> cause the angels to laugh and the devils to weep. And so on June 13th, 1525, he took Katharina, who he affectionately called my dear Kate, to be his wife, and the Lord blessed them with an amazing marriage and with six beautiful children. Martin Luther, his philosophy about marriage, it's right here. He said, let the wife make her husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. And that was the reality that they had in their marriage. So much so that in 1546, when Martin Luther passed away, his wife, far from the fictitious guy in the joke, his wife was heartbroken. And she wrote this after her husband's death. She said, and I quote, Martin gave so much of himself in service, not only to one town or to one country, but to the whole world. Yes, my sorrow is so deep that no words can express my heartbreak, and it is humanly impossible to understand what state of mind and spirit I am in. I can neither eat, nor drink, nor even sleep. God knows that when I think of having lost him, I can neither talk nor write in all of my suffering. That's a real deal there. Katharina von Bora, and Martin Luther, they only got to spend 21 years together, but it was 21 years of happiness and 21 years of joy. By the way, it's always better to be with the right one for a short amount of time than the wrong one for a long amount of time. Marriage matters. Marriage matters because marriage brings fulfillment, it brings happiness, it brings companionship, but the number one reason that marriage matters is because God, the uncreated, one and only God, he created marriage. And because of that, we should not take marriage lightly. Now in Jesus' day, they took marriage lightly. Have you noticed nothing's changed in 2,000 years? And so even though God created it, even though God's put a stamp of, of approval on it, human beings, our culture, same culture in Jesus' day, they did not take their wedding vows seriously, including the Pharisees, the religious leaders. We're gonna find out about how they did not take their wedding vows seriously in our text today. And so look at Mark chapter 10, starting in verse one. It says that Jesus left there. Okay, where's there? It's Capernaum, that's in the context. Capernaum, remember, is his... Uh, headquarters for his Galilean ministry. And so he left Capernaum and he went to the region of Judea, all the way down in Judea, and beyond the Jordan River, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he did what for the crowd? 
taught them. Teaching was a central aspect of Jesus' ministry. It's a central aspect of our ministry here at Calvary. And so Jesus' ministry is now in your Bibles, in our study of Mark. His ministry up in Galilee, it's now over. And so he has decided to set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. Why? Because he is ready to accomplish his primary goal. And that is to go to Jerusalem, hang on a cross, and provide atonement for the sins of the world. And so Jesus is up in Capernaum, which is at the top part of the Sea of Galilee. So if you can see the Sea of Galilee, say amen. amen. He turns south. He's heading now all the way down to Judea. If you see the Dead Sea, say amen. Okay, just go left, that's Judea. But not just in Judea, it says beyond the Jordan River. And so if you go to the east of the Jordan River, you are now in Perea. So that's where um, our, our text is today. Jesus is in Perea, which is modern-day Jordan, by the way. And so he's not going to go back up to Galilee until after his resurrection. So we see now in verse 2, it says, And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, in order to understand the explosive nature of that question the Pharisees just asked, we have to understand the controversy that was happening in Jesus' day uh, over this whole topic of divorce. And so in that day, there were two views concerning divorce. Two views espoused by two prominent rabbis. You had a rabbi, Hillel, and then you had a rabbi, Shammai. And so Hillel, he had the liberal view of divorce and remarriage. And Shammai, he had the conservative view of divorce and remarriage. Both these guys lived in the first century at, at the time of um, um, when, when Jesus was just a boy. That was when they were in the prime of their ministry. These rabbis, they had a profound effect on Jewish thinking. And so you had the school of Shammai, you had the school of Hillel, you had the conservative school, you had the, the liberal school. Now, whether or not you were conservative or liberal on this, this, this whole thing of divorce had to do with your interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24. So I want to show you what the controversy was all about up on your screen. We have now just went back 1,500 years from the time of Jesus. And we're now looking at a text from the law of Moses. This is, of course, the law that dictated every part of Jewish life. And so when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes. And that's the phrase that the liberal Rabbi Hillel loved to emphasize. If this woman finds no favor in his eyes. But there's more. It says, because he, the husband, has found some, what's the word? Indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And it goes on and on uh, to address a topic that's not relevant for us this morning. But it talks about how if the woman receives a certificate of divorce and then she goes and marries another husband and then he divorces her, she's not allowed to go back to the first husband. But what's appropriate for our, our, our talk today is that the divorce debate in Jesus' day it revolved around that word indecency. What does the word indecency mean? 
And so the conservative rabbi, Rabbi Shammai, he said it means one thing and one thing only, and that's sexual immorality. And so if your wife has committed sexual immorality, then you should give her, or you have the right to give her, a certificate of divorce. But Rabbi Hillel comes on the scene, the liberal guy, and he comes at it from a totally different angle, a totally different perspective. He says, no, 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 no. If, if this husband, um, if, if this wife has no favor in the husband's eyes, he can divorce her for any reason. And what I'm about to do is I'm about to give you facts from history from the school of Hillel on why somebody could divorce his wife. You could divorce your wife if she burned your dinner. You could divorce your wife if she badmouthed your mother. You could divorce your wife if she yelled so loud the neighbors would hear. You could divorce your wife if she could not bear children. And there was one guy, a rabbi, Akiba, he went so far as to say that, husbands, if you look at your wife, but then you look at another woman, and you think the other woman is prettier than your wife, then you can divorce your wife and pursue the other women. The scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day loved Rabbi Hillel. They loved his teachings. And you know what? Some of those Pharisees, they have been married. They had been married for over 10 times. And so they get married to the first lady. Hey, you burned my dinner. See ya. Next lady, you badmouth my mother. See ya. Next lady, you know, uh, whatever. You yell too much. See you later. They went from wife to wife. These are the guys who would follow Jesus around and talk about how Jesus had a demon in him. Wow. Hypocrites, right? But they're asking this question because they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to put Jesus in a no-win situation. They're over there thinking, you know what? If Jesus speaks out against Rabbi Hillel, he's gonna alienate all the liberals. But if he speaks out against Rabbi Shammai, he's gonna alienate all the conservatives because in every crowd, there's liberals and there's conservatives. Either way, we got him. There's gonna be a bunch of people who are gonna be mad at Jesus after he answers this question. Well, let's see how Jesus answers the question. Look at verse three. He answered them. And by the way, this is classic rabbi fashion. You, an you answer a question with a question. He said, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away referring back to Deuteronomy 24. Verse five, and Jesus said to them, because of your hard heart or because of your hardness of heart. I just wanna just pause there for a minute. Please hear that phrase from the Lord. Hardness of heart. The question is, do you have a hard heart? He says, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them, what? Male and female. Please notice that God assigns gender. Amen. You see that? It's right there in black and white. 
God assigns gender. Psalm 139, when the Lord knit you together, you didn't create yourself. When the Lord knit you together in your mother's womb, he is the one who made a decision whether you will be a little boy or whether you will be a little girl. And parents, it's not right for you to wait until your kid becomes of age and then they can just pick their gender. Are you kidding me? We do not get our values from our culture. We get our values from God's word. No matter what the culture says. Did you notice that God also did not make them male and male? And he did not make them female and female. He made them male and female from the beginning of creation. Why? Well, here's one of the very obvious reasons. Because when you look at the human anatomy, it's very obvious that a male plus a male equals no life. A female plus a female equals no life. But a male plus a female, that produces a beautiful baby. It, listen, it's just obvious. It's just obvious, even if you take religion out of it. It's absolutely obvious. And someone says, well, I'm gay, and I love the person that I'm with, my partner, and they love me, and what we experience as a gay couple, you know, feels right, so it must be right. Well, if that's your position, I have three things to say to you. Number one, anyone who goes through life making decisions based upon what feels right is a fool. Because it's not about what feels right, it's about what is right, and here is what is right. Right here. Number two, if that is your position, let me tell you that Christ loves you and your partner more than you could ever know. And you want to experience something? Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. He'll rock your world and give you an experience that you've never had before in your life. He loves you so much. No matter what you're doing, you need to know that the one who created you loves you. But you cannot experience his love unless you turn from your sins and turn to Christ, who, by the way, died took your sin and his body on the tree so that you could turn to him and you could be freely forgiven. The third thing I would say to you that if you don't turn to Christ and you don't repent of your sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's so clear in God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse nine. Or do you not know this, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. See that? Don't be deceived. I said the little prayer, but I'm just continuing in these sins without any repentance, without any conviction of sin, and I'm going to heaven because I said the prayer. Listen to God's word. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, he's talking about those who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so that's the bad news. But the very next verse is the good news. 
Paul, talking to a church of people, says, and such were some of you. Do you see that? Within the church of Corinth, you had people who used to, and by the way, homosexuality was rampant in the, in the Roman Empire. Heterosexual sin, rampant in the Roman Empire. But here's what happens. They turn to Christ. He says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If it's an experience that you're looking for, turn to Jesus Christ because there's no greater experience than to know that my sins are forgiven and I am right with God. That's the good news of the gospel. We don't get to do it on our terms. And we don't, as I said before, don't get our values from the culture, no matter how loud they may scream. All right, Mark 10, now verse seven, Jesus goes on and he says, therefore, okay, so because God made them male and female, verse seven, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And so what do the Pharisees do? The Pharisees in this whole controversy about divorce, they went back 1500 years to the law of Moses. And by the way, their wrong interpretation of it. Jesus, what he does is he goes farther back. He goes all the way to the beginning of creation. And he quotes Genesis 2.24. Now, this verse right here is packed with great principles for marriage. And so I'm just gonna pull out three principles, but let's go ahead and read God's word here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We're gonna break it up into three parts. Sentence number one, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Okay, so what do you take out from the sentence, leave mom and dad? Number one, my spouse gets my primary allegiance. You see, when a young man or a young woman, when they decided to get married, what they do is they leave one family, their old family, and they start a brand new family. And that transition, during that transition, it's very important for that young couple to realize where their primary allegiance now lies. Their primary allegiance no longer lies with mom and dad. Their primary allegiance now lies with my wife, with my husband. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have a strong bond with your parents. I love the fact, by God's grace, that my three daughters who are all grown now and on their own, they all love the Lord and we have a strong bond with all three of our girls. I'm not saying don't have a strong bond with your parents. What I am saying is have a stronger bond with your spouse. What does that mean? That means that when you and your spouse start to argue, how many of you guys can relate to that? Wow, I don't see any hands. How many of you guys can relate to, to this? So half, half of you are telling the truth, all right. That means when you start arguing, you don't go running home to mommy and daddy so that they can comfort you and tell you how bad your husband or your wife is. That means you stay in the marriage and you work it out. 
That means that if mom and dad are being mean to your spouse, you don't side with mom and dad, you stand with your spouse. That means if mom and dad invite you over for dinner, but you haven't connected with your wife, you haven't connected with your husband, you say, mom and dad, love you, we gotta take a rain check, and you go on a date with your spouse. Marriage first, mom and dad second, Christ overall. You see how that works? You leave and you cleave. By the way, I have to say this too. In our, in our culture, we, we, we swapped it. Now, kids cleave and then maybe they leave. <laughs> right? And so these 18, 19, I could probably go back further, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. What are they doing? They're, they're cleaving, they're having sex in every room in your house. And then maybe, maybe they'll leave. If you're, if you're a mom or a dad and you're letting people who are not married, who are living together to come and stay in your house, sleep in your house in the same room, or you're letting your kids have sex in your house, can I just say that you are not living according to God's clear word? Amen. And you say, yeah, but, but, but they'll get mad at me if I tell them to stop. So, where's your primary allegiance? Is it with Christ or your kid? They'll get over it. But see, our culture's all messed up now. You, you leave and then you cleave. All right, and so my spouse gets my primary allegiance, but then he says, not only should a man leave his father and mother, he should be joined to his wife. It's, okay, so principle number two is my spouse is my primary companion. I love this, be joined to your spouse. That word joined means to stick together. And the way I wanna illustrate it is by showing you a picture of a team of oxen. Okay, so I am not saying that your marriage is like being yoked to an ox. Okay, don't hear me say that at all. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, man, if that illustrates your marriage, that means you guys make a great team. Amen. That's what I mean by that. I'm not saying your husband looks like an ox. I'm not saying that he smells like an ox. I'm not saying any of that. Don't send me emails. My, my, my only purpose here is to say that you guys make a great team. And so what, do, what does a team of oxen do? What they do is that they're yoked together and they go in the same direction. And as they move in the same direction, keeping in step with one another, they're pulling the plow and the plow's making a furrow in the earth where you can plant seed and where there's gonna be a great harvest. Something's gonna be accomplished. This is one of the goals of marriage, teamwork, Amen. in order to accomplish great and wonderful things. And so the couple that's yoked together can say to each other, honey, I'm by your side. Sometimes you do act like a big ox, but I want you to let you know that you're my best friend, you're my lover, you're my partner, you're my yoke fellow. We're gonna go forward together, we're gonna keep in step with each other, and as we join together as a team, 
pulling that plow, we're gonna accomplish great things. What does that mean? That means we're gonna serve the Lord together. That means we're gonna raise godly kids together. That means that we're gonna be a family that honors Jesus Christ in our culture today. Amen. That's a wonderful thing. And that's, that's what you can do in your marriage. No matter how bleak it seems right now, God can help you go in the same direction. But if you decide, or if an ox decides to go in one direction, while the other ox decides, I'm going in the other direction, what's gonna happen is the forward momentum is gonna stop, pain is gonna come. Man, you're such a pain in my neck, right? And nothing's gonna be accomplished. And that's 50% of our marriages today. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness and what fellowship has light with darkness? And so on behalf of all the people here today who are unequally yoked or have been unequally yoked with unbelievers, on their behalf, I wanna to speak to those of you who are single in the room, those of you who are single watching on Facebook Live, who are single listening to the podcast later on. On behalf of everybody who's ever been unequally yoked with an unbeliever, let me say this to the singles. The best way to avoid divorce in the future is to only date Christ followers in the present. That is the best way. And by the way, someone who says I'm a believer, it doesn't matter what they say, it's how do they live. That's the criteria. If you're single and you're serious about your relationship with the Lord, only date people who are also serious about their relationship with the Lord. You say, they're serious, they said the prayer. Did their life change? Not yet, I'm praying. Okay, you pray, 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 that's great, but don't go on a date with that person. Because listen, if you go out with that unbeliever, AKA, if you go out with that incompatible ox, here's what's gonna happen. He's gonna steal your heart. And once he steals your heart, nothing that I say, nothing your family says, nothing your friends say will ever matter because we're in love. And see, what's gonna happen is that after you get married, those intense feelings are gonna subside some. And you're gonna wanna pray, and they're not gonna wanna pray. You're gonna wanna read the word, they're not gonna wanna read the word. You're gonna wanna go to church, they're not gonna wanna go to church. You're gonna wanna connect, serve, grow, invite, and give, and they're gonna say, what are you, some kind of fanatic? And you're gonna be in two opposite directions, and there's gonna be a lot of pain, not just in your neck, but in your heart. And so don't date an unbeliever, don't be engaged to an unbeliever, don't marry an unbeliever. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The words one flesh speak of sexual unity. And so the third point is my spouse is my primary lover? Is that what it says? No, no, that's what Hollywood says. 
my spouse is my, what's the word? Only. Only lover. And so hold your place in Mark, but turn left and let's go back 1500 years to Proverbs chapter five. As we're turning back to Proverbs five, whoever's in charge, if you could put the AC on. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm gonna go back to last week and talk about hell again. <laughs> okay, so Proverbs five, and then look at verse three. It says, for the lips of a forbidden woman, in the NIV, it's an adulterous woman. For the lips of an adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. King James says, to hell. Look at verse 15, okay? Your spouse is your only lover. Here it is. Drink water from your own cistern and flowing water from your own well. It's pretty obvious what he's talking about there, right? Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? In other words, guys, only go to your own well to get a drink. You shouldn't be sleeping around all over town. Verse 17, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with who? The wife of your youth. And by the way, this is why we, one of the reasons we have a children's ministry is so that we can, when the Bible is R-rated, we can just keep going, not worried about little ears. So, so let them learn about Jesus over there on their, on their level, but we'll keep going anyway. Um, verse 19, it's talking about the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Now, turn over to Proverbs 6. Verse 23, Proverbs 6, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are, are a way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Okay, guys, just think about that for a minute. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Did you know that's your choice? Martin Luther, again, said, you, can, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can sure stop it from building a nest in your hair. What does that mean? That means that thoughts during the day are just gonna come and go. There's, just, there's nothing we can do about it. But guys, and, and, and ladies too, you have a choice whether you're gonna dwell on that thought and continue to desire her beauty in your heart. Why would you do that? Let's take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Amen. Let's honor God and our spouse, not just outwardly, but inwardly. That's the way we please God. 
We please God by not being hypocrites, but by being real. Not perfect, but being real and authentic and genuine. And that means that, with God, I want to honor you, and I want to honor my spouse inside and out. And so I just had that, that wicked thought, get that thing out of here. I am not going to dishonor you, and I'm not going to dishonor my spouse. Amen. That's what it's saying here. He says in verse 26, the price of a prostitute is like a loaf of bread. He says in verse 27, can a man, for those, those of you who think, oh, there's no consequences if I fool around a little bit. Well, really, verse 27, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not get burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not get scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Verse 32, you can't get any plainer than this. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. It's not saying forgiveness. Man, if you turn to Christ, he'll forgive you like that. But there's a reputation that's gonna take a whole lot of time to rebuild. And so, go ahead and turn back to Mark. My spouse gets my primary allegiance. My spouse is my primary companion. My spouse, my spouse is my only lover. And Jesus says now in verse nine, Mark chapter 10, verse nine, speaking of marriage, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate, right? God is the creator of marriage. Hey, we don't have the right as human beings to mess around with it. Verse 10, okay, so this teaching shook up a lot of people. That's what Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't pull punches, he just spoke the word and people would get shaken emotionally. And the disciples got shook up, and so they, they have some questions. Look at verse 10. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Okay, so why is this true? Well, number one, because Jesus said it, but number two, here's why. Because when you have a couple and they decide to get a divorce for non-biblical reasons, and I'm gonna share the biblical reasons here in just a moment, but if you have a, a couple and they, and, and, and they decide to get a divorce for non-biblical reasons, let's say irreconcilable differences, then they leave the marriage, listen, in the eyes of the state, they're divorced, but in the eyes of God, they're still married. And so when and if they choose to marry somebody else, because they're still married in the eyes of God, they've committed adultery. This is not me, this is just line upon line, precept upon precept, what Jesus taught. Now, some of you might say, man, oh man, oh man, I blew it. Does that mean I, I, I need to, divorce my spouse and go back to my other spouse? No. How many of you guys know that God is a God of new beginnings? 
He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. His blood forgives all sins. And so listen, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That man, that woman sitting next to you who you're married to right now, that's your spouse in the eyes of God and you do whatever it takes to make that marriage work with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now there are two reasons in the Bible that give grounds for divorce. And so I wanna share those with you as we begin to wrap this up uh, today. And so what are the two reasons that the Lord sometimes allows for divorce? If you're taking notes, biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage, number one, sexual immorality. Now, Jesus didn't say it here in Mark, but he sure enough said it in Matthew on, during his Sermon on the Mount. And so Matthew 5, 32, this is Jesus talking. He said, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, okay, so here's the exception except on the ground of sexual immorality, and he uses the word pornea, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so it's very clear, straight from the words of Jesus, that there is an exception, there, are, that there is a ground for divorce, and that is if your spouse commits pornea. It's interesting that he didn't use the word for adultery um, there, he used the word pornea, which is a, a, a broader term. It includes adultery, but it includes other things as well. Now, I got a D in Greek, and so I'll, I'll refer to a Greek scholar here. What does pornea mean in the Greek? Chuck Swindoll. Jesus elected to use a term that came to encompass a range of illicit sexual activities, including adultery, homosexuality, incest, bestiality, child molestation. In the eyes of God, a couple may choose to divorce if pornea severs their bond. Straight from Jesus' lips, Sermon on the Mount, because he knows the incredible, heart-wrenching betrayal and damage that pornea causes in marriages. And so he says, hey, if you choose because your spouse committed pornea to walk away, you have my blessing and you can remarry. Now, having said that, I, I also wanna add that there are times where Christian couples, there's adultery, but then there's forgiveness and there's restoration and, and that marriage continues on. I'm not preaching against that at all. Praise God, you know, when that kind of heart healing can occur, but Jesus does give a window here. The second reason for biblical divorce is the abandonment of an unbeliever. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. And so if in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, Paul says that if, if a believer, okay, if he marries an unbeliever and that unbeliever is willing to stay in the marriage, then the believer should not seek to divorce the unbeliever. Are you guys with me? And so in 1 Corinthians 7, it says that if the unbeliever is willing, everybody say the word willing, willing, willing to stay in the marriage, then the believer should not divorce that person. Okay, the word willing is in the active present 
tense in the Greek language. What does that mean? It's active. That connotes actions. In other words, it's not, honey, I'm willing, but then you go sleep with somebody. Honey, I'm willing, but then you don't provide. Honey, I'm willing, but you use your wife as a punching bag. It's in the active present voice. That means it's not a one time I'm willing, you show it through your life, the unbeliever shows it, hey, honey, I love you, you know, I'm not, I'm not into this God stuff, but I love you and I wanna stay. God's word says, don't divorce. What does God's word say? Be a light. By the way, in between services, I kinda knew I'm supposed to go out and minister. A couple came to me, they're ready to celebrate their 13th wedding anniversary, they want their blessing. And I found out the guy had not accepted Christ. He accepted Christ right before this service. The woman's in tears, and we prayed a blessing over their wedding. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? Can we give God praise for what he's doing here? And she's crying because she said, for 13 years, I've been praying for him. He's a great guy. He wasn't sure about the whole God thing yet, but now he's accepted Christ as a Savior and Lord. Amen. Now, what if the unbeliever has an attitude, I don't want this Christian stuff, and decides to leave? Now, if the unbeliever departs, everybody say the next three words. That's in the uh, imperative tense. Let him depart is a commandment. Hey, if you're a believer and your unbelieving spouse, you know, cops this attitude and they don't want the Christian thing and, and they don't want to stay, let them go. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. And so I want to end this message on a positive note, okay? And so I want to say that there was a Harvard study and by the way, I shared this at Pastor Matt and Michelle's wedding about a month or so ago. And I love this statistic. Check it out. Couples that regularly read the Bible together, pray together, and attend church together have a divorce rate in one in every 1,287 marriages. Amen. You see what God can do? And so what's the divorce rate in the world? About 50%. What's the divorce rate in the church? About 50%. But what's the divorce rate among, among lifelong followers of Jesus Christ? Couples that honored God together. It's less than one-tenth of one percent. You honor God. He'll honor you. And so, love your spouse. Keep short accounts with your spouse. Guys, nourish her and cherish her like you do your own body. Ladies, respect him. Listen to him. Be his helper. Complete him. If you'll honor God, he'll honor you. Pastor Matt, stand up. Pastor Matt is our care pastor. So we sent Pastor Bob to Jensen Beach to start his church with our blessing. And so we praise God for that. And so we've made Pastor Matt your new care pastor. And he deals with these kind of subjects, with counseling and with marriage and with difficulties. And he also has great contacts to refer people to. I wanted the church family to be aware of that. And so if you need help, Pastor Matt's the place 
to start. Can we thank Matt for his, uh, his ministry here at Calvary? And so, heavy subject, right? But we wanna know that, we want you to know we're here for you. And so I'm gonna ask Pastor Mike Lawrence to come out and give some closing comments. I love you guys, and we'll see you next weekend.